and welcome to Rooted and Unwithered. I'm Cole Newton, and the following is a continuation of our meditations through the New City Catechism. And so we find ourselves today in question number 10, which asks, what does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? The answer, fourth, that on the Sabbath day we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. The two commandments before us are unique among the ten. Only the fourth and fifth commandments are not prohibitions. God prohibits idolatry, blasphemy, adultery, theft, and the others because he knows that we will commit such sins when given the opportunity. Likewise, he commands us to rest and to honor our father and mother because he knows that we will not do those things naturally. Now, the text of the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 reads as follows. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Catechism states that this commandment requires that on the Sabbath day we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord, and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Now, I've always found this this commandment striking. What kind of God commands his people to rest one day each week? How obstinate must we be to rebel against such a command? The truth is that we like to work more than we like to rest because we like to act like we are masters of our own fate. We tend to find our security and even our identity in activities because we tend to equate action with control. As long as I'm doing something, the often subconscious reasoning goes, then I am steering the wheel of my own life. Even idleness falls under this category since it is willfully choosing of some non-work activity. It is a kind of inactive action, an assertion of self-will. And yet our perpetual need for rest is a continuous reminder that our labor will never be as fruitful as we might desire. Our need for rest is limiting, and rest itself is a reminder of those limits. We hate rest because it dispels the myth that we are more than human, that we are more than created things. Rest is dreadful to us because it uncloaks our mortality. It screams to us that there is one God, and we are not Him. The concept, therefore, of taking a day of rest should not be flippantly neglected. Our notion of only using vacation days to rest simply does not work. 14 days off of work cannot effectively replace the 52 that God has prescribed for us. And in fact, we may benefit from viewing the Sabbath day almost as a prescription. Can we live without observing this weekly pattern? Of course, the majority of people throughout history have done just that. Yet I believe the question is not must we, but should we? Should we take a weekly day of rest to worship God? Why would we not? Sure, not working is harder than it looks. Resting requires planning. It requires a degree of work beforehand. Resting is a discipline. It is not always easy, but it is good. 
Like prayer and reading the Bible, resting does not always feel delightful in the moment, but these disciplines are for our benefit. So work, therefore, at learning to rest, particularly on the Lord's Day. You see, in Christ, we honor the Lord's Day as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ together and proclaim that he will one day come again. And we set aside that day, Sunday, for physically resting in Christ. Yet this pattern should not be burdensome to us. It certainly requires discipline, but it is not arduous for us. Even the fact that we now worship on the first day of the week should remind us of our gospel rest in Christ. We begin the week by resting before we work. Similarly, we are saved to do good works, and faith without works is dead. But these works, they come after our justification once for all in Christ. So we rest and then work, not the other way around. The fifth commandment reads, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's Exodus 20, verse 12. This requires that we, as the catechism says, love and honor our father and mother submitting to their godly discipline and correction. Honor is not a synonym for obedience. Paul does command children to obey their parents in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. However, this commandment was not given specifically to children. The Ten Commandments were spoken to by God to the entire nation of Israel. So the Fifth Commandment, therefore, is for the young, the old, and all the ages in between. For children who are still under their parents' household, obedience is an immediate application of this commandment. But honor entails far more than simple compliance to commands. Instead, honor means to revere, to esteem, to respect, and to value. Both John Calvin and Thomas Watson, two esteemed theologians, although using different words, describe three components of honoring our parents. First, they say we revere them, we place them, we give them a place of value in our hearts and minds. We do not relegate them to the background of our concerns. Second, we obey them. As I've already noted, children under their parents' home have an immediate command to obey. For we who are no longer under our parents' household, but have a household of our own, this still means, as Watson says, hearkening to their counsel. We are no longer bound to obey our parents directly, but we should still give ear and value to their words. And third, we're to love them. We should have affection and compassion towards our parents throughout life, yet we could especially consider the necessity of loving and caring for them in their final years. Just as parents loved and cared for us throughout our early years, so should we love and care for them throughout their last ones. The honoring of parents is crucial in part because, as Augustine said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Our parents are our first neighbors, our first relationship with other human beings. The adage that how a a person treats their father or mother reflects how they will treat their husband or wife may be a little bit too narrow In scope, how a person honors their parents will indicate how they also honor others. Thank you so much for listening. For more resources for knowing and loving God's word, please visit bcnewton.co. And until next time, grace and peace.